This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. I love having communion together. Even though it's separated by space, I love the fact that we partake of communion as the family of God. These are the kinds of things that we do together as the church that really unite us together, um, even though we might be separated. And I love that there are certain sort of traditional things that we do each week, singing, communion, praying together, and now opening the word of God together that just create the kind of stability and uh, consistency of what it is to be the church. Over the years, the church has evolved and changed and tried new things, but the church that Jesus is building has been the fundamental group of believers who depend on him, trust fully in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, and then turn to the authority of the Bible in their lives. And Boy, have we ever needed the authority of God's word more than we need it today. What a day in which we're living. Uh, I just was thinking this week of the tumult all around COVID and the uncertainty of how things are opening back up or not opening back up. Very crucial decisions that we're grappling with as a church. And then to observe the political scene in our world and how disheartening that can be at times. Uh, Most of the time, when we think about what's going on in the world and what is God doing, what's he allowing to happen, and I'm so thankful that in days like this, all of us, me here and you in your seat, right where you are in your home, can open the word of God and say, God, will you teach us what you want to teach us from your word? So we're going to return, and today we're going to look at the book of Acts again in chapter 16 to another exhilarating episode of the advance of the church. I'm delighted that in the sovereignty of God, we're back in the book of Acts, watching the church unfold in a day when we're being challenged because we can't actually be in the church building together yet. We're certainly hoping it's going to be very soon, sometime uh, before long, that we'll all be together. But as you read this episode of the church moving from city to city unfolding, today to the city of Philippi, I trust that your own heart will be listening to God and the way in which God works. So if you have your Bible, let's open Acts chapter 16. The early part of the chapter 16, you see beginning in verse 6, three or four or five different phrases that are recorded there that just underscore the way God is working in Paul and Silas and Barnabas and Timothy and Luke, the the apostles and their associates, to move them into places that God wants them to be. In verse 6, it says of uh, Paul and Silas, uh, they went through the region of uh, Phrygia, Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to uh, Myasia, They attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus didn't let them go. So passing uh, by Myasia, they went to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding 
that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, let me read those verses so that you will see the signals that have occur four times there. God is working, God is moving, he's directing, he's forbidding them to go to one place, prompting them to go to another because God's unfolding his church, moving it into a new place. And whenever God goes to a new place to build a, a ministry, to, to open a church, to lead people to faith in Christ, you see the kind of things that happen now in chapter 16, beginning with meeting three people. Chapter 16 has three new converts who come to Christ. And I want you to pay attention to each one of them. They're all a little bit different. They all have a unique particularity about their situation and what led them to the place of coming to hear, listen to, and then respond to the gospel. So beginning in verse 11. So setting sail from Troas... We made direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day, Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. So they're in a brand new city, Philippi. That should ring a bell for you because you may be familiar with another book in the Bible called Philippians, and this preceded the writing of Philippians, but that's the same city to which the book of Philippians was later sent by the Apostle Paul. On the Sabbath day, verse 13 says, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together there. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us and said, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. She prevailed on us and they obviously went to her house and stayed. Lydia is the first convert as God directs Paul and Silas to go through all of these regions, end up in the city of Philippi, there isn't a synagogue in Philippi. It's a Roman colony. There probably weren't enough Jews, so Paul's normal process would be to go to the synagogue. He doesn't do that. Where would the religious spiritual seekers be? Down by the river, praying. So he goes down there. There's a group of women. I find it fascinating that, again, the Bible indicates that in this particular location, the first contacts are a group of women. That would have been very countercultural in that day. But Paul just goes, sits down with them, begins to teach them, and there's a woman there by the name of Lydia. She's a unique person. What do you learn about her from these verses? She's a businesswoman, an entrepreneur. She's a seller of purple garments. The textile industry was uh, varied, but if you sold purple clothing or material, your clientele was really high-end because the only ones who could afford that rich kind of textile clothing were the wealthy, the aristocrats, the rulers of the day. So Lydia ran in big circles high circles in the social sector. And she was a wealthy woman. 
She had her own home. We're told later in verse 15, she invites the whole entourage of Paul and Silas and the rest to come and stay with her. So it's likely that Lydia was actually the home church eventually that when this church began to form in the city of Philippi was likely in her home. We, we learn this about Lydia, three things. One is she listened to Paul. She had her ears open. Two, she was a worshiper of God. She already had her heart in tuned with God. She's a little bit like Cornelius in chapter 10, whose heart was responding to what he knew, but he didn't know enough yet to trust in Jesus. In both of these cases, he, he knew there was a God he was trying to worship. Lydia knew there was a God. She was seeking after him, trying to listen to the words of Paul and the scriptures, and she responds. You'll just notice that the way she responds is uh, that she opened her heart to pay attention. Actually, it says the Lord opened her heart. So she's responding to the revelation she's received. She's listening to the word of God, and God opens her heart to believe in the good news of the gospel. So a couple things we should observe about Lydia then. It is true that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. So Paul's proclaiming it. She's listening to it. There are a lot of people who will not listen to the things of God. But she's a worshiper. So she's seeking after God. But we know that the Bible actually says there are none who seek God. None seek after God. They've all turned to their own way. So if she's a seeker, what do we know? God's been working in her heart. God's been dripping little things to her. And whether it was the natural revelation of the world around her or the influence of events in history, her heart has become awakened and she's beginning to step into what she knows. She's a worshiper seeking after God. And now God has met her by the side of the river. And Paul preaches the gospel. Her heart becomes open. Jesus said in John chapter 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. So there's a play going on here for Lydia. She's listening to God. She's responding to God. And God's giving her more revelation. And now she's heard the gospel. And God opens her heart to be saved. What's the first thing that happens? She receives Jesus. Her family receives Christ. They're all baptized together. And come to my house. All the marks of a really transformed life of a woman who had a particular kind of status in this community. Go to the next verse, and you see candidate number two for salvation. And you'll see um, in the next verse, as we were going down to the place of prayer, so evidently in the days to follow, out of Lydia's home, Paul and the others and his entourage go back to the riverside, meet with new people. And as we're going to the place of prayer, we were met by not an entrepreneurial businesswoman, but a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul 
and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Verse 16, this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. What a, what a change from Lydia to a slave girl who is described as in bondage, owned by a group of men who are using her as a medium who communicates with demonic spirits, spirits to tell the future and talk to people and speak things that only demons would know. And as a result of that, someone who would want to know their future allegedly would go to this enslaved young girl, pay money to her owners, and she would call on spirits and allegedly tell the future for money. Well, that was not an association that Paul wanted anything to do with because you can see that what she actually says is accurate. What she says of what Paul and Silas are doing is these men are servants of the most high God. That was true. And they're proclaiming the way of salvation. And that was true. So an association of a demonized slave girl announcing the same things that the apostle Paul was preaching was a way just to infiltrate the church in a really uh, demonic way. Paul would have none of it. So he stops it. And he doesn't want any of that kind of infiltration of demon influence. And so he casts the, the demon out of the girl. And I think it was a liberation of an, uh, um, a bound person who's absolutely enslaved. And Paul frees her. We wish that human trafficking and enslaving others for your own financial gain was not anything that happened in our world today, but in fact, sadly, it does. We've been privileged to support great ministries whose ministry it is around the world to liberate those who are enslaved in trafficking and bondage of all kinds. IJM and locally Freedom 58 have been two great ministries, International Justice Mission, that are doing this very thing, liberating those who are oppressed and trafficked. I like that the Bible just speaks about this is real and what's happened. And Paul delivers this slave girl. It brings consequences to her that she's absolutely free of demonic influence by the apostolic gift of casting out those demons. I, we're, we're not told what happens to this girl. I have to imagine that being liberated by demonic influence, she attaches herself to this new church that's forming. And if that's the case, can you imagine the juxtaposition of Lydia the businesswoman and this liberated slave girl being the first two members of the church at Philippi? What are you seeing? You are seeing the way God works in people of all circumstances, bringing them together because everyone is on equal footing below the cross. And it doesn't matter we said last week there's just no space for any of us to have any sense of 
discrimination or partiality for anyone of economic status or place in life. And God doesn't. He welcomes all the world. I love this picture of Lydia and this girl. Well, as you follow the story, it doesn't go well then for those who were exploiting this young woman. They're furious that their means of financial gain has now been removed. It says in verse 19, but when the owner saw that their hope of gain was gone, they took Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these are Jews and they're disturbing our city and they advocate customs that aren't lawful for us. And it's not surprising then that the crowd joined in and they're all jeering. And before long, the magistrates order that Paul and Silas are beaten. They pull their garments off and those who are in authority beat them, probably within an inch of their life. It's interesting, they don't beat Luke or Timothy, who are also in the entourage, because they aren't fully Jewish. Timothy was probably half Jewish, and Luke was a Gentile. But these two Jews, Paul and Silas, are taken and beaten. Anti-Semitism was strong. In this Roman province and the city of Philippi, Paul and Silas are beaten. Then they're thrown into a prison, thrown into the midst of the dungeon. It says they gave them orders to put them in prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And when he received that order, verse um, 25 says, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet to the stocks. And that would have been separating their arms and their legs in chains in the deepest part of the dungeon. I tell you how, how fortune changes so quickly. Here they are, now they're in a dungeon. But you can see how they respond. They respond in the next verse, verse 26, about midnight, Paul and Silas, what are they doing? How do they respond to persecution and suffering? They're praying and they're singing hymns to God and the prisoners are listening. And suddenly there's a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Hey, praise breaks forth a move of God in the prison, an earthquake, and the next thing you know, everyone is, um, is free. I just want you to see the picture of that. You see the theme that Luke is painting here? There's a slave girl in bondage. The gospel liberates her. Then those who proclaim the gospel are beaten and thrown into bondage. In bondage, they call upon the name of the Lord and God moves toward them and he liberates them. And he breaks the chains and opens the doors. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul cried in a loud voice, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer asked for lights. They rushed in and remember, um, trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out. And then he asked them this question, which every one of us have to ask and pray that God will give us the answer. He just said, what must I do to be saved? 
A lot of people think he was saying, what must I do to be saved? I was about to kill myself, and now I'm not going to kill myself, but what must I do to be saved? I think he was genuinely asking, what must I do to be saved before the God who just worked this incredible miracle that in response to praise, the earthquakes, the doors open, and the chains fall off? And the answer comes in verse 31. They said to him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, both you and your house. That is the way everyone is saved, <clears throat> is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Okay, here's the third person who becomes a part of the church in Philippi. And he's a government worker. He's the jailer. He's the day-to-day -day employee. He's going into the jail to keep prisoners and he was so fearful that he was going to die because he had failed in his job that he calls out, what must I do to be saved? And this is the answer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Man, I, I, I listened to that and then I, I would say to you, that's exactly the way anyone is ever saved by the ministry of the gospel. You believe in the Lord Jesus. What must you, what must you believe? who he is. You must believe that he is the son of the living God, that he is the Christ. John, writing his gospel, said in chapter 20, and verse 33, these things have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. And then you must believe what he did, Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and he rose again for you and for me. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Well, it turns out he believes and he's baptized and his whole household believes and they're baptized. And the story goes on with more details of the unfolding of that, which you'll have to follow up this week, which I encourage you to do. This morning, Here's how I want you to think. Here are three people into their lives. God intersects the ministry of the gospel, the word of the truth about Jesus, and each of them in very different places in life respond to the truth about Jesus and the church is formed. What about starting a church with these three members first? It's an interesting thought, but that's the way it began. And here we are in homes today, all of us in different places, all of us maybe seeking God or just beginning to seek God, or maybe you've walked with the Lord for many, many years, but we're the church gathering together. What, what are a couple takeaways? Did you hear what I said that sometimes when you're feeling free, you actually are in bondage. And we all are until we come to Jesus and he forgives us. And sometimes when you're in the darkest dungeon, in that place, you can actually be free enough to sing praises to God, to lift your voice in the dungeon and say, even if you slay me, I will praise you. Why is my heart downcast, O oh Lord? I will yet hope in you. And singing praises in the dungeon is one of the ways to turn our whole perspective in that moment.
That's what happened there. I want to encourage you, wherever you are in your home church today, wherever you are in your life personally, God's working. And if he's calling you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to call on Jesus today. And if you're in a dungeon and it just feels like, ah, it's horrible out here. I want to encourage you to just settle in, know who you are in Jesus, give him praise and pray. And I want you to remember that God is working and he's building his church with all kinds of people and you're part of it. So as you now move to your home church discussion, you're going to be led to talk about some of these things and then to pray for each other. And I want you to envision that your home church is actually just in line as a different church than the one that began to be formed in the city of Philippi so long ago. And maybe you'll go this week and read the book of Philippians, the letter Paul wrote to that church who were in a difficult spot, a letter written that they would have joy in trouble. I don't know what you'll read, but I encourage you to keep seeking after the Lord and encourage one another in your home church this morning. And we'll be praying for you. Let me lead us in prayer as we close our service this morning. God, thank you for giving us a glimpse of the way you work in the lives of people from all different walks of life. I thank you that no one is beyond your grace. Not those who are under bondage, those who are successful in doing well, but seeking you, those who are just grinding it out day to day, wherever we are, Lord, I thank you that you reach us where we are. And I just pray you'll awaken in our hearts a desire to hear you, listen to your voice, and respond to you in faith. Call people to believe in you this morning by your Holy Spirit. Open our hearts that wherever we are, we would tune our hearts to pray to you and to praise you and to trust you. We're in a difficult season, Lord, and we need you. If it feels like a dungeon, I pray that you'll give us a vision for working even in that dark place in our life. Build our faith to trust in you. And may your grace be on our church, wherever it is, all around the front range, all around the world. Bless those who hear this word and believe it and follow you. This is what we pray for together. And everybody said, amen.